Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Jason Lewis is going to be uh, doing the uh, the noon to three slot all next week. You may remember him from being on WBT. Lo, those many years ago when I was just a young cub reporter. Uh, Jason, how are you? You know, I could tell by the <laughs> twinkle in your eye that uh, you would end up in a talk show host seat some at some point, and there you are. Well, I, I remember having a discussion with you one time when there was a, uh, we were downstairs back when they kept all of the uh, the talk show hosts in the dungeon down there. <laughs> and uh, you had, uh, there was a, I think a job had been posted for like CBS Radio News uh, up in New York. And uh, and we were discussing whether or not I should apply for it. And I'd said something like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need to go to a big market to be, to consider myself successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, and then you made the counterpoint that, well, you can have more of an impact. That's the argument there that you could have more of an impact. It's one of the things I enjoyed about, like, I, I could always talk with you about like the business, but also, Point, counterpoint, have discussions and debates about uh, various issues. And so uh, I'm super excited that you're back uh, on BT. So, um, well, I mean, that is the aspect of BT that really is laudable. I mean, if you take a look at Henry, the great late night talk show host, yeah. if you take a look at Hancock, if you take a look at yourself and so many others in the news department, they get to WBT in Charlotte and they stay there. And that's a testament to um, the, the history of the station and the impact you can make locally and regionally. Um, you know, it, it's a very, very transient industry, as you well know, Pete, as I well know, um, having been in a number of markets. But but the bottom line is there's room for both strategies. And, and I'm, I'm so glad to see you where you are. Well, and I've been following you. I subscribe to your Substack. If folks are interested, they should definitely check you out on Substack, where you post at jasonlewis.substack.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you post a bunch of stuff up there. I'm always interested in your takes on stuff. Um, and so and, and your book, I would be remiss if I didn't mention your book, Party Animal. Well, and if you didn't, I would. Oh, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. So let me let, let's kind of walk through. You were BT host and you went because I remember when you went up to Minneapolis, we were all very upset about it. And you went to uh, you went back to Minnesota. Uh, yep. Are you still in Minnesota? Uh, well, I let me put it to you this way. I, I have now relocated where I will never pay another state income tax return. Ah, there you go. Where, I will not tell you where, but I would just <laughs> say that. Uh, well, uh, so, you, so you've left Minnesota, but you got out of talk radio for a while. And for some reason, uh, I guess, in mental instability, you ran for yeah. Congress. Why would, you, why would you do such a thing? Well, actually, I woke up one morning with a hangover and said, <laughs> I did what? That's right. Uh, because, you know, at some point, I will say, uh, it, it's sort of like, you know, the old Teddy Roosevelt, Richard Nixon phenomenon in the arena. Um, I, being an observer is great. Being a commentator is great. You can be a purist. You can, you can espouse your philosophy, which is the bedrock of all public policy. So it's really a good thing. Um, but I wanted to really take a vote. I wanted to make a change. And I was fortunate, very, very reminiscent to the first term under Ronald Reagan in 1980 when we went in in 2016, actually 2017, sworn in in the 115th Congress. Um, Even Trump critics like Paul Ryan said it was one of the most productive sessions in 
the House's history. And we got tax reform done, regulatory reform done, career and technical education reform done, uh, juvenile justice reform done. All, all these things that, you know, was, was very, very fulfilling to be a part of. The only thing we didn't really get done, and it's still coming back to haunt everybody, and that is health care reform. And, and, you know, <laughs> had it not been for John McCain, quite frankly, yeah. we would have got that done. So... I, I, I would, I'm glad I did it. Um, I'm also glad not to have to put up with the nonsense that is today's political world, especially when it comes to taking words out of context when you're a talk show host. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal. RFK is going through the same thing right now. The, the mainstream press is, has reached um, depths to which I didn't even think it could. Well, uh, when it comes to their partisanship. So uh, that I don't miss. But having been in the arena for that to short period of time and getting something done, I'm glad I did. Well, it, it's a really good uh, uh, aspect to this, uh, to your run, because I get, you know, I'm sure people asked you before you ever ran for office, too. Like, oh, you should run. You should run. You would win. And I, my response is, no, I wouldn't, <laughs> because there's too much audio for people to mine. And so I guess you kind of proved maybe that that's not true because even I guess people came at you right with uh, with audio clips during the campaign of things that you had said and you still just won. as you pointed out in your last segment about look you can't even say when someone perseveres under the worst circumstances um, they're enslaved but they progress and they're and they champion themselves we ought to laud that. I wrote a book to, you know, 12 years ago about federalism, the 10th Amendment, called Power Divided. And somehow, a, a never-Trump little Republican fed it to CNN has a pro-slavery book, when it was just the opposite. <laughs> it was a precisely the opposite about if you really want to make certain everybody enjoys liberty across the board, you've got to devolve power, not concentrate power. Concentrated power is how we enslave people. And the, the, the depths to which your opponents in cahoots with the Democrat media complex will go to distort common language, absurd language, uh, to distort metaphors or, you know, you name it. Uh, it really surprised me. And so um, I'm glad we defeated that. I'm glad we won in 2016 in spite of that. But they're not going to stop. They're not stopping now. They're not stopping. I mean, Trump is about to get indicted for saying, hey, we need to fight like hell. Somehow that's evidence now, Pete, mm -hmm. of, of insurrection when it's a routine metaphor. Right. Well, it's just like the uh, Sarah, the Sarah Palin uh, bullseyes on congressional districts. Right. And that has really been the real change in, in my lifetime is how scurrilous places like CNN have really become to the point where they're engaged in massive consumer fraud. That is to say, if you're pretending you're a news organization, but you're not, we call that fraud. Um, it's not, nothing wrong with the talk show host or someone like you that mm -hmm. says, well, I'm not a journalist anymore. I'm an opinion maker. Fine. But don't portray yourself as one uh, and then come around and basically, now, we now know. I mean, look, these guys were lying since Russian collusion. Mm -hmm. uh, and they get caught time after time after time, whether it's the Covington kids or General Flynn or you name it. And yet it doesn't stop them. Well, look at what just happened in uh, in the, the court hearing with Hunter Biden where a judge asks just a couple of questions and all of a sudden you find out that they were trying to do an end run around her uh, in order to get some you know, future blanket immunity for anything, which is right. like obviously designed to protect Joe Biden. And you've got half the country probably that has no idea 
and, and we'll have no idea, I assume, until the articles of impeachment or the inquiry begins. And that's exactly my point in Party Animal, the truth about President Trump, power politics and the partisan press. I saw this. I saw the FISA warrants up close and personal. I knew what was going down. I had to write about it. But it's also the topic of my latest Substack piece Mm -hmm. about defunding the FBI and the CIA. People think the first thing a dictator does when they take power is take away your guns or shut down the free press. Hell, journalists have shut down the free press on their own. So they don't need the government to do it. And they get around to the guns, no question about that. But the first thing they do is weaponize law enforcement and the military. Well, Uh, COVID showed us that. One, yes, exactly. And once they do that, you get you don't get blind justice. You get this two-tiered system we see where they, as to your point, they cover up for Hunter while they go after, believe it or not, this is what's so bizarre about this. They raid Mar-a-Lago when Joe's sitting on classified documents in his Corvette and Hillary Clinton had more than you could possibly imagine on a private email server. Right. And now, and now by the way, They also go after Trump in New York for a campaign finance regulation that says, well, he paid hush money and he didn't report it on his campaign finance documents. They just let off Sam Bankman Freed openly violating campaign finance. Right. The number two donor to the Democratic Party uh, behind George Soros. uh, And they just wiped all of those charges away. And that's the real story here. I mean, that really is the real story. You, You don't you can't you can't live in a free country. If literally prosecutors get get to pick and choose who they want to get. Jason Lewis, you could follow him on Substack, read his writings there. Jason Lewis.substack.com, his book Party Animal, also Power Divided. He's also going to be filling in all next week, right here, noon to three. Thank you very much for doing it, Jason. I do appreciate it. It's really good to talk with you again. And uh uh, I'll have well, you back on. Yeah, well, uh, maybe I listen I'll... frequently, and you're doing. Well, I listen frequently, you. and you're doing a great job, Pete. Keep it up, and I'll do my best to to fill your shoes next week. Well, that's easy to do. Trust me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I'm a small shoe. It's uh, anyway. Uh, no, Jason Lewis. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks so much. You bet. My All right, man. Have a great weekend. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com, check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. So Jason Lewis, by the way, that's L-E-W-I-S, jasonlewis.substack.com. His latest piece there, which I read uh, earlier today, uh, was uh, defund the FBI and the CIA. It's well worth your time. Uh, he's got a ton of stuff. Like I said, I subscribe, so I, I read his stuff all the time. Um, it also hooks into this piece at National Review by Beckett Adams. Headline, the media's scandalous infatuation with the intelligence community. Because Jason makes the argument, you heard him uh, just moments ago there, say the same thing. He says the first thing that every petty potentate does before anything else is weaponize law enforcement and the military. Beckett Adams says the current relationship between the intelligence community and major media is not just uncomfortably chummy, it is dangerous. We're in a bad place when the watchmen of our republic are apparently at the beck and call of professional liars, 
dismissing the worst abuses by intelligence officials and platforming them with plum newsroom analyst gigs. He then highlights, gives some brief background on the three most obvious and egregious violators, John Brennan, Andy McCabe, and James Clapper. Right, Brennan, under his leadership at the CIA, spied on the U.S. Senate. Do we care? Does media care? The protectors of the democracy, do they care? Brennan's flunkies created a fake online profile so they could access the network used by the Senate Intelligence Committee. So the committee that oversees them, they, they spied on the ones who are providing oversight on them. Is that a problem? Why? Because the Democratic members at the time wanted to investigate the CIA's torture program. Once inside, CIA agents read emails written by Senate investigators. The spies then made criminal referrals based on bogus information. And during the entire ordeal, Brennan lied and lied and lied, both publicly and behind closed doors, about all of the spying. What was his punishment? He has a gig now at MSNBC, which does seem like, that does seem like punishment. It does. Yeah. Um, Andy McCabe. Of course, we all know what McCabe did. Right? He leaked sensitive information about the Hillary Clinton email investigation to members of the press. That's what the inspector general at the Justice Department found. And according to that IG report, he lied to his boss, Jim Comey, which he's not the victim here, please. But still, like, you lied to the head of the FBI. He lied to members of the FBI's inspection division. Sometimes while he was even under oath, he lied. He lied to agents for the office of the inspector general. What is he doing now? He's an analyst over at CNN. James Clapper testified under oath in front of a congressional committee that the NSA, National Security Agency, was not collecting data on millions of Americans when it actually was. He lied. His punishment? He's also on CNN. This is a problem. Despite having every reason to distrust these agencies and the men who head them, the press has adopted an almost reflexively pro-intelligence community position in both its news coverage and its commentary, says uh, Beckett Adams. The press's reverence, he concludes, I'm going to skip ahead to the very end here. He says the, uh, the press's reverence for the intel community is precisely why we had the multi-year Russian collusion news cycle, right? They were just... They were just stovepiped. The idea that the Kremlin installed Donald Trump in the White House lasted for as long as it did precisely because credulous journalists kept repeating bogus tips and leaks and scoops and bombshells from supposedly in-the-know intelligence operatives. We know that members of the intel community are not above lying. In fact, when it comes to spycraft, like that's as much a part of the job as is filing reports, <laughs> so uh, nobody should be surprised when they're lying to you. Worse, we know members of the intel community have historically played the press as political pawns. This is the stovepiping. These are propaganda tactics. Stovepiping is when you launder uh, state through leaks. You launder your propaganda, your state-desired uh, information. You, la- you leak it to the press, and then you turn around and use that as a justification 
for action. So you do the leak, and then you cite the, the press reports on the leak as the reason why you need to do something about the information contained in the leak that you put into the press. If spying on Senate staffers isn't scandalous enough for the media, scandalous enough to earn agencies like the CIA permanent, unswerving scrutiny from the press, then what actually is? All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organize the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings educators and vendors from all over to help people do just that, I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Dennis writes uh, this uh, email. It has a very good question in it. The subject line is dumbassery versus idiocracy. And he says, Pete, I know you use the term dumbassery often. And I wonder if you could explain the difference between dumbassery and idiocracy. Does one precede the other? Or is it possible for someone to be afflicted with both at the same time? Finally, do you think there is a cure for these? It seems these can be contagious. Too bad there isn't some sort of a a vaccine to be had for it. That's... Well, yeah, I'm not sure if there is a dumbassery or idiocracy vaccine. So here's the difference. Okay. Uh, first, the, the big one is uh, dumbassery is a state of being at the individual level, right? Uh, your behavior, your actions and such, uh, you are still able to speak in, in sentences. But being afflicted with the dumbassery, uh, it, it doesn't make any logical sense, right? You're... You're uh, sort of a walking paradox of inanity. Uh, so there's that. The idiocracy that's at a uh, that's at a societal level, right? Idiocracy is uh, is sort of the governing structure that exists. This idiocracy, and the uh, one of the big differences there is that the uh, the idiots uh, they they've lost verbal skills, simply grunting and such. Like if you watch the documentary Idiocracy, right? You, you know, like they cannot formulate uh, complex thoughts or sentences. It's a lot of just watching videos of people getting hit in the groin. It like that's that's it. Like that's they, they don't know how to dispose of their trash like that's idiocracy. So it's more of a societal governing structure with the inability to speak in in uh, long sentences or entertain complex thoughts. Dumbassery is you're still able to say things, but they're just. They're just dumb. You're just being stupid, you know? Um, I think think dumbassery is the predecessor to idiocracy. I feel like we are in the prequel. I think that's where we are headed. I think we are headed to idiocracy, but I think we are in sort of this way station of dumbassery. uh, You know, like it's a, a writ large. I guess it would be a... If it was a governing structure, you'd have to throw ocracy, so it would be a dumbocracy. Oh, dumbocracy. Oh, I like it. 
So, so you could call us a dumbocracy right now. We're, we're proceeding apace towards idiocracy. Um, I don't think there is a cure, no. Sorry. And it, yes, it is contagious, at least from what I can tell on social media. It does appear to be quite contagious indeed. Um, let me see here. Oh, here we go. Here's a good example of the, uh, of the dumbassery. The Daily Signal reporting that the Secret Service has refused to turn over the list of individuals who may have accessed the area of the White House where authorities discovered cocaine over the 4th of July weekend. Yep. They say, what's the reason why? They say that the record of such a list does not fall under the Freedom of Information Act. This suggests that the uh, that the Secret Service never created such a list in the first place. Did they? Don't know. Here's what they responded. Quote, as your request seeks records reflecting visitors or related information concerning the office of the president, please be advised that these records are not Secret Service agency records subject to the FOIA. Rather, these records are governed by the Presidential Records Act and remain under the exclusive legal custody and control of the White House. Well, isn't that convenient? Oh my, what are the chances? What are the chances that the Secret Service, when conducting its investigation, would not compile a list of people to talk to? No, no, apparently they just went by the visitor logs and never kept a list of their own. Hmm. The White House Office of General Counsel did not respond to the Daily Signal's request for comment at press time. The Heritage Foundation's Oversight Project is what it's called, the OP. Um, They demanded that the Secret Service turn over the list shortly after the agency announced that it had closed the investigation. By the way, the Daily Signal is the Heritage Foundation's news outlet. Okay, Much like Carolina Journal is the John Locke Foundation's publication. Daily Signal is the Heritage Foundation's news outlet. So the Oversight Project, which is housed under the Heritage Foundation... They are planning to appeal this rejection. Steve Bradbury, a distinguished fellow, actually I think that's his title, at the Heritage Foundation, who served as the general counsel of the U.S. DOT from 2017 to 2021, and he led the Office of Legal Counsel in the Justice Department from 05 to 09. He says that uh, the, the he goes over the differences here between the presidential record and an agency record. Okay, the distinction usually is based on who generates the record and whose business the record reflects. Okay? So you got two components there. If it's an agency record, Secret Service agency, right? If it's their record, then it is subject to FOIA. If it is a White House record, then it's covered by the Presidential Records Act. Bradbury said that the pertinent question should be whether the Secret Service created its own new record using information from the White House visitor and staff logs. Right? This, the Secret Service is in a no-win situation here with this FOIA request. You know why? Because if they, if well, now they've said that's a presidential record. Okay, that means you didn't create a list? What does that indicate? It indicates that you didn't really try very hard, right? It also means it seems like you were lying in your earlier statement 
when you talked about, what do they call them, known pool of individuals. So they had a known pool of individuals. And I'm, I'm assuming that they just took the White House visitor logs, right, and only looked at them, never generating or whittling down the list, which to me, right, that indicates a sloppy investigation. Of course you should take the list of all of the known people that came through the um, – through the White House security, right, that would have had access to the area, you know, where the uh, the dog's cocaine was found. I'm I'm serious. They need to just blame it on Commander at this point. Just say it was the dogs. The Secret Service, if it did not create a new document, that means it doesn't look like it took the investigation seriously. But if you did keep a list, if you did take the White House list, and you wrote down or transcribed or copied and pasted or whatever, and you whittled down the list and you created a new list based on that known pool of individuals, as you said in your original press release, then you're withholding the information illegally, unlawfully, right? By the way, one of the things, I did not know this, one of the things... um, is a fellow named Hans von Spakovsky. He's a senior legal fellow at Heritage. And he said, one of the things that you got to do when you go through the security checkpoints, because he used to work in there, he would go through the, these checkpoints at the White House, so he knows. And he says, every staff member, every visitor has to go through a background investigation just to get into the White House. They, 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 it's not only that they check you for weapons. You also have to go through an area where they blow air through you and they have dogs sniffing to try to detect any kind of illegal substances, bombs, or anything else. So it's like a like a big puff test, you know, poof. And then the dog smells, and oh my gosh, there's some, you know, there's some illegal substances that got puffed out of the threads on your on your jeans or something. But didn't they legalize weed? Are they not doing that for weed anymore? Probably not. Right? So So did they miss somebody bringing cocaine in? You know the only people that don't get screened like this? The people that live there, right? The people that live there don't get screened like this because it's their house. Hmm. It's a brain buster. We'll never know how it got in. I am aware that this is the burning question in your brain for the last few days. So I can tell you, rest assured, Hunter Biden remains a member of the District of Columbia Bar. He is in good standing, everybody. I know you were very concerned about this. He is still, yep, he's got his, he still has his law license. He's a member in good standing, even though he appears to have violated the rules. But it's okay. It's, you know, that's what being privileged means. The D.C. Bar's website confirms Biden is an active member. Although the uh, rules of professional conduct state in Rule 8.4b that it is misconduct for a lawyer to, quote, commit a criminal act that reflects adversely on the lawyer's honesty, trustworthiness, or fitness as a lawyer in other respects. Many of uh, many kinds of illegal conduct reflect adversely on fitness to practice law, such as offenses involving fraud and the offense of willful failure to file an income tax return. Daily Caller News Foundation reports under Rule XI, that's the Chinese rule, I believe, Rule G, right? Um, 
Or is that the new Twitter name? Anyway, Rule XI, Rule 11. Uh, on disciplinary proceedings, attorneys who display an addiction to drugs or intoxicants risk the possibility of probationary conditions. As the written plea deal obtained by Politico states, the president's son, quote, has a well-documented and long-standing struggle with substance abuse. But it's okay, everybody. He still is able to practice bribery. I mean, uh, law. He is still able to practice law. Hunter Biden appears to be in violation of Rule 8.4E, which explains it is misconduct to, quote, state or imply an ability to influence improperly a government agency or official. That's the WhatsApp message, right? Where he threatens the Chinese uh, business guy like, hey, I got dad sitting right here and hell hath no fury like, you know, the Bidens stiffed on a bribery. Hunter Biden also remains a member of the Connecticut bar, although he has been on administrative suspension. I mean, not for anything he did. It was for failure to pay his client security fund fee. Hasn't done that since 2021. So he's I don't know. Maybe he thinks it's like taxes or something. I don't know. But the fee is asked of every attorney admitted to the Connecticut bar to reimburse individuals who lost property or money as a result of any dishonest attorney practicing in the state. So it's sort of a pool that they pay out when people get defrauded by attorneys. So they they socialize the risk, I guess you could say, or something, which is weird. Like this might be the only bar that Hunter wants to avoid or something. I don't know. It's just just probably because he doesn't want to pay. Oh, and get this. I was not aware of this little tidbit. You know, he graduated from Yale, right? 1996. Do you know how he got into Yale? I mean, the second time. Because the first time, he didn't. I didn't know this. The first time that he applied to get into Yale Law, the dean, Guido Calabrese, Calabresi, Calabrese, Calabrese, Guido Calabrese, it was the dean. And he got a call. From former President Bill Clinton in 1993. He was then President Bill Clinton. And he Clinton calls Guido and says, hey, why don't you let Hunter Biden into the school? The admissions office nevertheless rejected Biden. But Guido Calabrese encouraged Hunter to reapply as a transfer student the following year. And guess what happened? He got in that time. Guido came through. There you go. That's how That's how the privileged boy got into Yale. Uh, what else do we have going on here? The, uh, oh, yes. Uh, Jason Lewis at the beginning of the program, he mentioned this as well. The mighty state of the Bahamas, whose political class uh, did very well from the generosity of Sam Bankman-Fried, has successfully bullied the weak United States of America, whose Democrat members of the political class also did very well from the generosity of Sam Bankman-Fried. The the Bahamas, right, have bullied America into dropping campaign finance charges that had been lodged against the crypto fraud mogul. See, America has a long history of bowing to the wishes of small countries when it comes to legal matters, given how dependent our national security is upon their restraint, obviously. Without the Bahamas, our struggle against Chinese aggression might falter. War could erupt, threatening Miami. Cruise lines might fold. 
What political levers might the U.S. use to persuade a mighty power like the Bahamas from exercising its might against us, right? David Strom at HotAir.com reporting that the U.S. government is dropping charges against one of the biggest scammers of the 21st century, conveniently taking out of the public eye the massive campaign finance fraud that led to tens of millions of dollars flowing into the coffers of the Democrat Party. What's amazing about this is that one of the reasons they cite is that there was uh, one of the things that, yeah, the bribery, uh, bribing a foreign government. Prosecutors are planning a second trial, but that got withdrawn because he bribed a foreign government. The foreign government? The Bahamas. (laughs) 